Good morning. It is a pleasure to be with you this morning. I hope everybody's doing well. It was a beautiful day yesterday. Nice to feel the fresh, cool breezes that the Lord provides. Amen. So, I love when I sit up front and I get all into the music and I start singing the songs and they shout out the wrong line. Don't you love that? That's what I did. I, I hope I didn't distract you fine singing people. I, I was into it though. I was enjoying it. I was moved by the Spirit. So we have a lot of visitors today. If you haven't had a chance to welcome a visitor or two, we have someone all the way from Jamaica who came here just for this service and to see her son. I mean, I'm sure she'll squeeze that in, but uh, to somebody you don't know, say hello. So um, I was going to preach a certain message today. We're still going to be in 1 Samuel 27. If you have your Bibles with you, it'd probably be a great idea for you to turn there. Um, but the Lord uh, tapped me on my heart on Thursday and said, I want you to change your message. So I did. Uh, I think it was because a message that I might have needed to hear, but I'm wondering if there's a few folks in this room today who might need to hear the same message. Um, and it certainly comes straight out of 1 Samuel 27, 28, 29, and 30. It sort of encompasses all of those chapters, but we'll really be hunkered down in 1 Samuel 27 today. But I want to ask you a question, church. Have you ever felt like giving up? Have you ever felt like giving up on a relationship, at a job, at a church, at part of an organization? Have you ever felt you were just so fed up, so tired, so not where you needed to be mentally or spiritually, that you just wanted to walk away from something and say, I'm done with this? I think we've all probably been there in our life. I hope, though, I hope, though, you are not at a place in your life where you're saying, I give up on God. I'm going to walk away from God. I hope you're not at a place in your life where you say, I'm giving up on God. Because the point of this message this morning is to remind you, church, that though at times we may feel like we want to give up on God, God will never give up on us. Never, never, never. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And that's an important message. So I don't know where you're at this morning, but I know somebody needs to hear this message, and I know I'm one of them. Never give up on God because he never gives up on me. So I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 27, and I'll tell you why it's important that we study this this morning in relation to the life of David. Now, we're going to pray, and then I'm going to read to you through 1 Samuel chapter 27. I'm going to make some comments as we go, because I want you to get a clearer picture of what was going on in the life of David at this time. But then we're going to get to some other scriptures outside of 1 Samuel 27 that will drive the point home will drive the fact home that though we feel like giving up on God, he will never give up on us. So let's pray, church. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you that we have access into the most holy of holies. We have access to your son, Jesus Christ. There's nothing more holy, nothing more righteous, nothing more lovely, nothing more beautiful than his presence. Father, may we never in our hearts want to give up on you. May we in our hearts never want to walk away from you. May we in our hearts long to grasp who we are in you and always want to cling to you. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. First Samuel chapter 27. Then David said to himself, 
now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. So Saul then will despair for searching for me anymore in all the territory of Israel, and I will escape from his hand. You have to remember, church, that as we've told you time and time again, at this point in 1 Samuel, David has been on the run from Saul in the wilderness in the outskirts of Israel for over 15 years at this point. He's tired. He's fed up. He's weary. And he says, I, I'm just going to leave Israel, and I'm going to go into the land of the Philistines, and that way, finally, I will be out from under the spear of Saul. Finally, all of my anxiety will be lifted, and I'll be able to live a life free from Saul. I'm going to leave my people. I'm going to go. I'm going to give up on God and his promises because I'm tired. So David arose and crossed over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Moach, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam and Jezreelites, and Abigail and Carmelites, Nabal's widow. Now it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he no longer searched for him. You have to understand, church, the promise to David was that he would be the king of all Israel. That was the promise that God made to him. This is a big deal. David is saying, I'm going to go live with Israel's enemy. Israel's enemy. I'm going to live among the Philistines. It might be similar to saying, I'm going to leave the church and I'm going to go live in the world. I'm going to live amongst the atheists. I'm going to live against, amongst the, the dogs. I'm going to live against the heath, among the heathens. I'm giving up on God and I'm going to live with the enemy and life will be better there. That's David's mindset. Life will be better if I live among the enemy. And Saul will no longer have to fear me. Saul will no longer have to pursue me. And finally, I will have peace in my soul. Now it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he no longer searched for him. That was David's was successful. Then David said to Achish, if now I have found favor in your sight, let them give me a place in one of the cities in the country that I may live there, for why should your servant live in the royal city with you? David was really sucking up to this king of the Philistines. But David wanted something for himself. He was tired of running from place to place with nowhere to lay his head, living in a different place week after week, month after month. He was tired and he said, why don't you give me, O king of the Philistines, why don't you give me one of your cities so that I can live there and I can, I can serve you there and I can rule there. So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. So the king said, sure, David, live among us. You can be very beneficial to us. I give you Ziklag. Now David and his men went up and raided the Gershites and the Gersites and the Amalekites, and they were the inhabitants of the land from ancient times, as you come to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. David attacked the land and did not leave a man or a woman alive, and he took away the sheep, the cattle, the donkeys, the camels, and the clothing. Then he returned and came to Achish. Now this is interesting. Akish asks the question of David, where have you made a raid today? And David said, against the Negev of Judah and against the Negev of the Jehemarites and against the Negev of the Kenites. David, 
said, I did not leave a man or woman alive to bring to Gath, saying, otherwise they will tell, us, tell about us, saying, so has David done and has David been his practice all this time that he lived in the country of the Philistines? So Achish believed David, saying he was surely, has surely made himself odious among his people Israel, therefore he will become my servant forever. Let me explain this a little bit. So David left Israel. He went to live among the Philistines, and he said to the king, give me a place to live and I will serve you, king. And then he told the king that while I'm under your rule, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to go out and I'm going to destroy settlements that belong to Judah, that belong to Israel. And I'm going to destroy settlements of their allies. I'm going to go out and I'm going to take them for us. But what David was actually doing was going out to the villages of Israel's enemy and killing them. David was lying. David was not telling the truth. He said to the king of the Philistines, I'm killing your enemy, my people, so that he could win favor with the king of the Philistines. Bible says something else, that David, when he went out to do this killing of these villages, killed every man, woman, and child. Why did he do that? The Bible tells us that he did that so no one was left to tell the king of the Philistines that David was lying. This is foreshadowing what David would do when he killed Bathsheba's husband. He lied and he sent him out to be killed in a military venture. And David lied to cover up his sin. David is lying to cover up his sin here. David is off the deep end. David is giving up on God. David has left God. David has forgotten that God keeps his promises. Another thing interesting here, church, David had no right to kill every man, woman, and child. That is the strict purview of a sovereign God. God can kill every man, woman, and child of a village. Well, that's not right, John. That's not a good thing. That's not a right thing. Was the flood righteous? Did God kill every man, woman, and child during the flood? Yes, every man, woman, and child. Because a sovereign God, when he sees the end from the beginning, can judge that a people are totally lost and there's no good in them, and there will be no repentance in them, there will be no returning to him in them. So he can say, this is the end of your people's timeline on this earth. And he has the righteous sovereignty to do that because he can tell the end from the beginning. I know there's no goodness here. God said in Genesis chapter six, he was fed up. There was no righteousness that was so corrupt. David is not God, he is not sovereign. He had no right to take the life of every man, woman, and child except by the command of God. David did this to win the favor of the king of the Philistines. There's penalties for lying. And this is one of the reasons why David is not allowed to build the temple in Israel. His son Solomon would do that because David was a man of war, a man of bloodshed, a man of deceit. David had no right to act in the position of God, particularly to cover up his own sin. So I say all that to tell you folks that David quit, he gave up, he walked away. He said, I give up. This is a man of God, this is a man after God's own heart, this is a man that we admire, this is a man that we hold up to our children and say, be like David, a man after God's own heart. But he gave up. What David forgot is that God does keep his promises. David gave up on God, but David didn't realize that God didn't give up on David. And we, church, need to realize that we, as believers, though we may feel like giving up on God, we have to understand that God never gives up on us. God never forsakes his people. Never. 
forsakes his people. So let's go to a few verses, but I want to start in 1 Samuel chapter 27 and go back to verse 1 again, because I think this is an important point. But David thought to himself, how many of you have good old King James Bibles? In your good old King James Bible, the word here is David thought, David said in his heart, David said in his heart, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. David said in his heart, I quit. Saul's too powerful. I'm tired of running. One of these days I will be killed by that crazy man's hand. But David, God made you a promise that he would make you king of Israel despite Saul. I give up. I quit. I don't believe the promise of God. David said this in his heart to himself. One of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is not fall on my knees and pray to God. David said the best thing I can do, the wisest thing I can do, the best thing my heart is telling me to do is to escape to the land of the enemy, to escape into the world, to escape to the Philistines, to escape to the very people who want to destroy God's people. The best thing I can do is walk away from God right now because he does not fulfill his promises. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand, and I will quietly go away, and the page of David will be turned, and no one will hear of me again. Sometimes we feel like that, church. Just let me slip away. In our hearts, we say, I'm tired, I'm done, I'm weary. I can't face anything anymore, and we want to slip away. And we're just going to go into that world, that world that doesn't expect anything from us, doesn't want anything from us, but also will never give us what we need. Don't leave God because he will never leave us. So that's what the Lord told me to speak to you about today, about his never leaving you. Though we may abandon him, Though we may quit him, he will not quit us. So I want you to look at these verses with me, church. And I want, I want us to hear what God has to say. If you're in this position, if you feel like giving up for any reason, if you feel like quitting, don't quit on God. Deuteronomy 31 says this, The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. That word dismayed means don't be distressed. Don't be anxious. Don't fear. Why? Why shouldn't I fear? Why shouldn't I be distressed, Lord? Because he goes ahead of you. I know we have a lot of folks in the military here. A lot of us have not been in the military, but we've seen military movies. And when military folks are on patrol or they're about to head into enemy territory, who goes first? You usually have scouts or you have somebody who goes ahead of you to clear the path or to see what's ahead of you or to scout out the enemy's positions so that those who follow can know what is up ahead so that things can be a little bit safer for those advancing behind those that go ahead. What's that have to do with the Lord? The Lord tells us he is the one who goes ahead of us. He walks ahead. He's looking for the time bombs. He's looking for the landmines. He's looking for the sharpshooters. He's looking for the enemy. He goes ahead of us. He knows where we're going. He knew David was in the wilderness. He didn't forget David. Well, I'll tell you in a few minutes why he left David in that wilderness for over 15 years. God had a purpose. 
But God was there with David. He went out ahead of David in the wilderness. So remember that. God goes ahead of you. So there's no reason to be anxious. It's not like anything's going to surprise God that happens to you. Nothing. And if you trust in him, you can walk the path that he has cleared for you. Now, I, I'm going to reiterate this many times. It doesn't mean the path won't be rough. You know, war is war. When a scout goes ahead and said, yeah, the enemy's this many and the landmines are over here, people are going to die. doesn't mean everything's going to be cleared for a nice little path to walk on in life. I don't want to get bogged down with that, but let's go to James 1. All right, so first point, don't give up because God goes ahead of you. James chapter 1, verse 2, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, the Bible doesn't teach here, church, that in this world that you will be perfect because of suffering, because of your endurance. What the idea here is that through suffering and through your enduring of trials, you will become a more complete Christian. You will be down the road more towards the perfection that you will receive when you see Christ face to face. But you won't be perfect until you see him face to face. But in this world, you are being molded. You are being made complete. Trials and tribulations, if you endure them, are making you stronger. They're giving you wisdom. They're opening your eyes. They're maturing you. They're telling you what life is all about, the highs and the lows, the difficulties. Why was David in the wilderness for over 15 years? Because he had to endure trials and tribulations so that God could perfect him, so that God could complete him to fulfill his role as king of all Israel. When David was in the wilderness for 15 years, he was visiting villages and towns in Israel. He was getting to know the people. They were loving him. He was learning about them. He was learning the needs of Israel. Some king sitting in a city somewhere like Saul, who's only interested about power, knew nothing about the needs of the people. But as David was forced to circulate through the country of Israel, through the land of Judah, he got to know who he would rule. And the Lord wanted him to know those things. He wanted them to know the struggles of his people. He wanted David to be a man after his own heart who cared about the widow, the orphan, the poor, the struggling, the downtrodden. And the only way David could truly learn that if he was one of them, if he was among them, if he broke bread with them. And God said, I'm gonna hatch something beautiful, David, when we're done with this experience. But just remember that though you're having trials and tribulations, you can endure because I'm going out ahead of you, David, and I know exactly where I want you to walk. I know exactly where I want you to step. I know exactly what I want to make with this lump of clay. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 gives us a little bit more insight into why we should never give up on God because he never gives up on us. And Paul uses this great term in the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 1. I told you in the King James Version, it says that David said in his heart, in his heart he gave up. Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, therefore we, we believers, we do not lose heart. We do not do what David did. We don't lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For a momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond 
all comparison. Let's just stay on that. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Our outer man is decaying. Your outer woman is decaying. I'm sure you look in the mirror every day and appreciate the decay. I'm sure you love that, right, ladies? Uh, I decayed. Anyway, I I won't comment. But we are decaying. You know, it's sad. It's a sad thing to know that we come from the dust and we will go back to the dust. Thankfully, that our spirits go to be with the Lord. But decay is a hard thing. A decay is rot. It's falling apart. It's a dying process. It's a process of watching ourselves die. I, I, I you know, sometimes we, we, we grieve over simple things. My, my, my 10-year-old Weimariner, Lily, beautiful dog, beautiful dog most loving dog I've ever had, literally, you know, in, in winter, she's a blanket. She wants to be on top of you. She lays on you. She's about a 75-pound dog. But she's decaying. I saw her yesterday trying to get up the steps, and my heart went out to her because she couldn't get beyond the third step of 12 steps. And I was like, my beautiful girl's decaying. She's dying. And I can see it. I can watch it. Church, we're dying. We're decaying. We're falling apart. But don't lose heart. Though our outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed day by day. Because, church, when we realize we are decaying, something should shift in our brain about what's important in life. These flowers, I think, are left over from Donna David's funeral, which was on Friday. There's a woman who gave decades of our life to the Lord, a faithful woman who trusted the Lord. And I I was telling her daughter this morning, who's here with us this morning, that I I was so surprised at how quickly Donna, this, I do not mean to use this word harshly, decayed, went to be with the Lord. You know, two weeks before she died, she was in church. Two weeks later, she was, she passed away. She decayed. But I know that her hope was in the Lord. And that gives us comfort, and that gives us the ability not to quit. As we see ourselves diminishing, as we see ourselves falling apart, church, we can say that though I feel at times like I want to give up on God, he will never give up on me. Never. For the momentary light, for momentary, is that up there? I'm sorry. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. Why we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I love this, church. For the momentary light affliction is producing, listen to this, an eternal weight of glory. The affliction that you're going through that should increase your faith in God and your ability to endure is producing an eternal weight of glory. And I I, I always think of this, that when we get in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ and he gives us those robes, those white robes that represent his purity, I just imagine those robes being weighty, being, being solid, being comfortable but yet having weight to them because when he gives us those white robes of righteousness and glory, they're going to be weighted with his glory and he's going to let us wear those robes, church. The eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison will be laid on your shoulders if you endure. 
And if you don't give up, if you don't look at the temporal things, if you have an eternal perspective, eternal perspective is hard. But John, we all die. Yeah, we all die. But in America, we have a perspective where it's all about the individual. I have to tell you, God has a different perspective sometimes. Sometimes it's about the corporate body. Sometimes it's about more than just us. Sometimes he uses us to make bigger things happen. Do you know that, church? Sometimes people die. Sometimes people are martyrs so that greater things can occur. I can, I can think of Jesus Christ going to the cross, but who did so because of the joy set before him. I go to the cross and I consider it shame, the shame of the cross, but yet for the joy and the greater good set before me, I will go to the cross for the greater good of you and me. Jesus would do that. When the Jewish people were persecuted and destroyed by Hitler, a lot of the Jewish people said, why has God abandoned us? Why has God forsaken us? Why has God completely turned his back on us? What did God do with the Holocaust church? What came out of the Holocaust? Israel. Through the tragedy of decay and destruction and mass idiocy and murder, out of that dirt, out of that soil of filth and disgust, and the things that happened there were beyond human, out of that soil birthed God's promise of bringing back the nation of Israel. You know, we don't like to be small players in a big world, but sometimes we are, and sometimes that's okay. Because God promised to bring Israel back in the land first without a spirit, and then with a spirit. And we pray every day that God gives the Jews back the spirit of Christ, that they accept him as their Messiah. But at first, they first had to be gathered like a valley of dry bones. So think of the eternal perspective. What you're going through now may have eternal consequences if you are faithful, not only for this generation, but for the next generation. You parents who have children, whatever you're going through now, if you hang in there and if you endure, may have consequences and eternal blessings for generations that come after you. I talked to a, a, a lady recently who said, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be faithful in a particular relationship. It's very hard for me to be faithful in that relationship, but I know that my children are watching me. And I know that what I do will impact what they do. And I know that they will act like me, so I'm acting like God so that they can take hold of something better than the world. That's powerful to say that I'm going to do something for the generations to come. All right, Galatians chapter six, church. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. In due time, we will reap if we will not go weary. How many of you bang the microwave when your popcorn's not popped fast enough? Man, I look at my microwave, how much, 20 more seconds, how on earth can I wait that long? We are a fast generation. We want things like this. We're not used to waiting. But God is patient. God is slow. You know, church, David said, I quit. I don't want to follow God anymore. I don't want to wait for his promises. I'm done. I'm giving up on God. And you know, a year and a half later, Saul died. And the promises of God all unfolded. Just a year and a half later, after 15 long years in the wilderness, David gave up. And then a year and a half later, Saul dies and David becomes king of Israel. 
So close. So close. Don't give up because your timing is not God's timing. Sometimes God's night out microwave. And you just can't bang them and get things faster. Colossians chapter 3. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. I won't spend a lot of time on this because we're running out of time, and I want to make sure I get to the next part here. But whenever we do, church, whatever relationship we're in, whatever struggles we have, we have to realize that the Lord Christ is whom we serve. We have to realize that we will receive our reward, our inheritance, if not in this life and the next. But we have to be faithful. We have to be true to him. Because at the end of the day, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. And that word Lord means master. He is the master. He holds everything in his hand. Everything. All right. I am just a flicking fool here with my little flicker. But this is beautiful. Psalm 37. I don't want to... I don't want to rush. I'm going to slow. Hey, you're going to be a few minutes late. Tell your children, call your friends. Um, Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord. The steps of a man are established by the Lord. And he delights, he, God, delights in the man's way or woman. The steps are established by the Lord and God delights when we walk in those steps. When he, the man, falls, he will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. Tell me there's a more beautiful thought than that. So if I'm the man and I'm on the path and I'm following the footsteps that the Lord has ordained for me and I'm about to fall headlong into something that I can't bear or I can't take or that's too great for me, who's holding my hand? The Lord, I look back, and the person keeping me from bursting my head on the ground is the Lord my God, the Lord Christ, whom I serve. But church, who's out ahead of me? Didn't, didn't we just read earlier that the Lord goes before me? Well, what's he doing behind me? He goes ahead of me. He's beside me. He's behind me. I can't forsake him as much as I feel in my heart sometimes that I want to give up. And I'm going to make a corny reference right now. You ready? Why don't you all sit down for this one, all right? So after the first, oh, thank you. That was quick. After the first service, I'm out there singing a song based on the first service that I didn't even realize I was singing this song. So forgive me, those of you who don't listen to uh, non-Christian music, but there's this hip group out there, Simon and Garfinkel, Simon and Garfunkel, something, yeah, something like that. So, so listen to the words of one of the songs. When you're weary, feeling small, when tears are in your eyes, I'll dry them all. I'm on your side. Oh, when times get tough and friends just can't be found, like a bridge over troubled water, I will lay me down. Like a bridge over troubled water, I will, I will lay me down. Behind and before like a bridge over troubled water. You're going over the troubled water. You might as well use the bridge. You know, you might as well use the bridge because that's your God. 
It's your God. It's my God. All right, here's where we end, church. Here's where we end. I uh, told you before, and I, you probably don't remember why should you. It's just something I observe every now and then. If you, know, if you have a King James Bible, an NASB, an ESV Bible, they're what we call word-for-word translations. Basically, they try to take the Greek or the Hebrew, and they take that word from Greek, and they try to plop it into English, and you get a very faithful to the original translation, but it's very rigid. If you have an NIV Bible, it's more thought for thought, right? The, the NIV authors tried to, or, or interpreters tried to say, okay, Yes, there's this rigidity, but people don't talk like that. We have to give it a conversational, because language is conversational. So there's a a fellow by the name of J.B. Phillips who was a great Greek scholar. I don't support his total theology, but my Greek professor said, John, if you want a good thought-for-thought translation, J.B. Phillips is your guy. He he did the New Testament Testament translation. And I I go to it when sometimes I have trouble understanding what Paul might be trying to say in one of the word-for-word translations. But that's what you want to study with, folks, your word-for-word translations. Don't get me wrong. But I pulled this series of verses from Philippians out of J.B. Phillips' translations. Just, I don't want to throw you off. This is where it's coming from. And it is accurate to the Greek, but it's so much more expressive. Let's, let, let's just look at it together. God has given me that genuine righteousness which comes from faith in Christ. God has given me the genuine righteousness which comes from Christ. God has not given me my own righteousness. I don't have any of my own righteousness. The world has not given me righteousness. It cannot give me righteousness. God has given me the genuine righteousness which comes from faith in Christ and Christ alone. There is no other righteousness that can be imparted to me, imputed to me, other than his that will save me from hell. But listen to this. How changed are my ambitions since this genuine righteousness has been given to me, how changed are my ambitions? I'm a new person. It's a new world for me. I am a righteous son or daughter of the most high God. How changed then are my ambitions? Radically. Radically changed because I seek his kingdom and not my kingdom. I don't quit him and he doesn't quit me. Now I long to know Christ and the power shown by his resurrection. I long to know the power shown by his resurrection. But church, in order to know that power, what do I have to first know? The power of his crucifixion. I don't get to the resurrection without the crucifixion. But I long to know the power of his superiority over sin, over death, over my doubt. Now I long to share in his sufferings, even to die as he died, so that I may perhaps attain as he did the resurrection from the dead. It gets better. Yet, my brothers, I do not consider myself to have arrived. None of us do. I do not consider myself to have arrived spiritually, nor do I consider myself already complete or perfect. I don't consider myself that. I consider myself a striver. But I keep going on, grasping ever more firmly that purpose for which Christ grasped me. I keep going on, grasping ever more firmly that purpose for which Christ grasped me. My brothers, 
I do not consider myself to have fully grasped it even now, but I do concentrate on this. I leave the past behind, and with hands outstretched to whatever lies ahead, I go straight for the goal. I go straight for the goal. Some of your versions say that I strain to achieve the goal. I strain to grasp fulfilling what he has grasped me to do. I strain, I reach, I stretch my hands out. I I stretch it out to whatever lies ahead. I go straight for the goal. Why? Why? Because my reward is the honor of being called by God in Christ. Why do I try to grasp what he has grasped me for? The only reward I need is the honor of being called by God in Christ. That's who you are, church. He grasped hold of you so that you could have the honor of being called by God in Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. And if you feel like giving up, if you feel like giving up on God, we have to remember that God will never give up on you or me. He will never forsake us or leave us alone. Don't give up. Continue to grasp, continue to reach, continue to strain for what you have been taken hold of to do, to love him and to trust him and to wait for his promises to be fulfilled in your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your faithfulness to us. And I thank you that you are a bridge over troubled water. And Lord, as we walk through troubled waters, may we never doubt you, may we never leave you, may we never think that there is a better experience or world somewhere outside of you. You are ahead of us and you hold our hand. You are our God. And it is an honor to be called your child. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I leave you with this blessing, church. Never give up on God because he will never give up on you. Go in peace and have a wonderful day and love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul.